Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. Today we're going to talk about, continue and, and really finish our series today on, on relationships. And, and I want to ask this question to you today. What does a Christian look like? I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but sometimes when we're, we're going through life or whatever and, and um, a coworker or a family member or neighbor or somebody at the ball field or whatever, they'll say, I thought you were a Christian. I didn't know that a Christian did that. Have you ever heard that? So sometimes I think it's because we did something that maybe we shouldn't do, Right? Maybe we said something that, that maybe we shouldn't say, or maybe we reacted a way that maybe we shouldn't react. Or maybe it was just a misconception. But the reality is that no matter what the purpose or no matter why, excuse me, no matter why they said it, we now have a situation where we have to explain what a Christian is, what a Christian looks like. We have this idea sometimes, at least from people that are, I hate to say it this way, but, but people that are maybe outside the church or that, and maybe inside the church, that, that we have this view that a Christian is somebody, first of all, that's perfected. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not perfected. You know, on, on a lot of days, I'm kind of a mess. And sometimes I say things that I shouldn't say, and I react in ways that I shouldn't react and, 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 and some days if I'm being real some days I battle with depression and on those days when I'm battling with depression sometimes my reaction is not the way that it should be and so if I'm being honest and I'm being real sometimes the things that rear their ugly head in my life, if they're not dealt with properly, may cause me to hurt somebody else. And it's not the way I want to be. And I believe that I'm in the process, the scripture tells us, and Tony and I were just talking about this this morning, the scripture tells us that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, 
is the power of God for those who are being saved. Those who are in the process of being saved. That means that every day I'm walking or making the choice to walk in my salvation. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not saved. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to heaven. It doesn't mean that I don't have Jesus living on the inside of me and that I have the power to overcome. But what it does mean is that there are some days where I'm focused on other things rather than focused on my salvation. There are some days where I'm focused on the circumstances that are around me, and every single day is a process of being saved, or walking saved, or talking saved, or acting saved. The power is there the whole time. Sometimes I don't flip the switch. But every single day, we're getting better. This morning, Jasmine and I were talking about a situation where a minister had said something unfortunate, said something that they, they shouldn't have said. They came out and they apologized for it, which is what you should do. They said, I was wrong. And because they've come out and they've said they were wrong, this man is in danger of losing his ministry. His church is turning on him because he was honest and he was open. We wonder why people aren't honest. We wonder why people aren't open. And it's because we crucify them. It's because we shoot our wounded. I made up my mind about... I guess now it would be about a year and a half ago. I made up my mind that I wasn't going to let my fear of vulnerability keep me from healing. And it's caused some issues in my life. If I'm being completely honest, there are people that when I talk about things that God is healing me from, there are people who look at me different. There are people who think, well, I didn't think, I didn't think a pastor should, should go through that. But we see pastors that fail and fall every single day because they will not allow themselves to be vulnerable, and I, will, I refuse to do that. I refuse to be in that position because you're too valuable to me. Because people are too valuable to me. Because the calling that God has placed on my life and the voice that he has given me is too important to me to allow a fear of vulnerability to keep me from my purpose. And if you listen to me very long, you know that to me, purpose is everything. Purpose is everything. God has called us to something that is so great. And the enemy is fighting hard to try and derail that plan that God has for our life because he knows that if he can get us off track, he not only destroys us, but he destroys all of the people around us that we were called to. But your purpose is too big. Your purpose is too big. In our culture, we've got this 
this idea in society. We've got this, this cancel culture that we live in where if somebody makes a mistake, then immediately we want to write them off and we want to cancel them. We've got this, this stigma in society that I can't be myself because if, I, if I'm myself, then I'm going to have conflict with somebody else. We've got this problem where we've allowed ourselves to be so manipulated. And I mean that. I believe we've allowed ourselves to be manipulated where we can't talk about differences that we have. And if we do, then those people are canceled from our life. Those people can't be around us anymore because they have a different worldview than we do. We see all of this in Luke chapter 10 and verse starting in verse 25. <clears throat> and I want you to jot down some notes today because we're going to move pretty quickly. I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on this very first part and then we're going to rock and roll until the end and we'll spend a little bit more time and all of that in the middle is what's going to be in video series this week but I want you to write down notes write down questions that you have because like I said this isn't one of those where I'm going to run all over the stage and we're going to jump up and down and yell and clap and and shout hallelujah we don't have any holy ghost shoes on today where we're jumping around the room all right but what we do have is I believe that God has given us a lot of wisdom in his word to where we can go out and we can affect the world around us because I believe that there's a very, very well-devised effort by the enemy to rip us apart as a church because he knows how important relationship is to the kingdom of God and to the call of God on your life to the purposes and the plans of God. I believe that the enemy knows the power and he wants to rip us apart. And so he isolates us. He urges us and prods us and pokes us to be the worst version of ourselves when we're looking at our relationship with other people. And he's tearing us apart. And we can't let it happen. It's time to stand up. And it's time to change that. Luke chapter 10, excuse me, verse 25. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up. Now, anytime we see in Scripture where it says, A certain man, a certain lawyer, a certain, and it says it later on, in this passage as well. I want you to know that it's no accident that it was this person, all right? It didn't say there was a random lawyer. It said there was a certain lawyer. This person right here was key to the plan of God in that moment. I want to be spoken of as there was a certain man in Carlsbad, New Mexico, that did this. See, it wasn't random. 
It wasn't random. You're a certain person. And God's chosen you for something. See, this guy right here, there was a certain lawyer who was hearing Jesus that day that he stood up. Look at this. I just spoke very highly of this guy. I don't, I don't know him at all. The Bible doesn't talk about it. doesn't even say his name. But it was enough to where they said this was a certain dude right here. He stood up and he tested Jesus. He tested Jesus. Why did I speak highly of him? Because he listened to the answer. Because he listened to the answer. One point I want to make from right here is that there may be a time in your life where you don't understand things. I do not want you to be afraid to question God. Just make sure you listen to the answer. That's only fair. If you're going to question, listen to the answer. Because if not, you didn't really care. You just wanted to cause problems. So this was a certain lawyer that he stood up and he tested Jesus. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, well, do what's written in the law. Easy enough, right? <laughs> That's all you got to do. Just, just do what's written in the law. Ten Commandments, follow those 100%, never mess up, not one of them ever, and you got this. Eternal life is yours. Easy enough. Well, I don't have any idols, so I'm pretty good on that one, right? Well, I never killed anybody, so I'm pretty good on that one. I've never even stolen anything. I didn't even steal a pack of gum. I've never stolen anything in my entire life. I'm, I'm pretty good on that one, right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. I've never told a, a lot. I, mm, yeah, there was that one time. Well, I never disrespected my parents. Oh, mm, yeah. Yeah, because there was that one time. See, the thing about the law is the law was set up for our failure. Well, we can't, we can't keep it. We can't follow the law. So Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. And his blood was the atoning sacrifice that we would have to pay because we broke the law. But he didn't have to pay it, but he fulfilled it. And so poured out on the mercy seat of God was the judgment that was put on Jesus. And his blood washed away all of our sins. And Jesus rose again absolutely free from the effects that breaking the law had on us. And now we stand justified, as we spoke of earlier today. Now we stand justified in him. So he tells this guy, you can inherit eternal life, just keep the law. And then he says, what's your reading of it? What do you think? I mean, I just told you. What do you think it is to inherit eternal life? See, Jesus turned it back to him. And he says, I want to know what you think. So this guy, he comes back and he says, well, I think it says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and with your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as 
yourself. And Jesus said, that's it right there. You got it. You understand it. This is what you're supposed to do. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. You answer right. Do this and you'll live. But this guy wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, okay, so who's my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, then who's my neighbor? I want you to ask yourself today, who is my neighbor? If that's who I'm supposed to love, who's my neighbor? Is it the person living next door to you? Is that your neighbor? Or, or how far does the neighborhood go? Some people will say sometimes, and I've heard this, where do you live? And I'll tell them, and they say, oh, well, we're neighbors. Oh, really? Where do you live? Like four streets away? I don't know that I call that my neighbor. I don't know. I mean, we live in a small town. Who's your neighbor? Is your neighbor the person you work beside or you work with? Is your neighbor, do, do we count family as our neighbor? Or what about, so if we're supposed to love them, what about the people that we don't like? Are they our neighbor? What about, what about the people that, that voted for President Biden? Are they our neighbor? What about the people that voted for President Trump? Are, are they our neighbor? What about people who wear a mask? What about people who don't wear a mask? Are they our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Who are we supposed to be loving? Are we supposed to love people that disagree with us? What about people that threw shade on us on social media? Are they our neighbor? Now, maybe not everybody on your Facebook feed is your friend, even though Facebook says they are, but, but are they your neighbor? Who's our neighbor? So Jesus told it this way. He said, now there was a certain man. There's that word again. Now he was a certain man, and he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, two very interesting things here. Jerusalem is the holy city, and Jericho was a city that fell that was known for having big walls. It was a city that was all bark and no bite. Just like the walls in your life that you build that give you some kind of sense of security that have all bark and no bite. Jericho was known as a city that just had some really big and intimidating walls, and they kept them safe for a really long time until the power of God came in and said, we don't need these walls here anymore. Why don't we tear those down? We're going to close with that story, by the way. So this guy, he was a certain man fulfilling a certain purpose. History tells us that he was most likely a Jew, and that matters. So this guy, he's traveling from the holy city to a place where it's known for the walls that it has. How many times in our life do we call on God, we see God move in our life, but then when everything calms down a little bit, we start reconstructing walls? How many times 
do we go back to a place where maybe we were a little bit more comfortable because we had our safety and security, but those things kept us from fulfilling the purpose that God had for us? We start to travel back. Galatians tells us, it says, Stand in the liberty in which Christ has made you free, and do not be entangled again in bondage. It goes on to say, you were running really well. Who hindered you? Who caused you to abandon the truth that you had on the inside of you? I want you to stand in your freedom. And don't go back to the place that held you in bondage. This guy, he was going from a place of freedom into a place of bondage where he had been made free. What happened to him along the way? Very interesting. As he was traveling, he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, who wounded him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. He had stepped out of the goodness of God, and he had gone back to a place where he was comfortable but where he was away from his purpose. And on the way, he fell among thieves. Now the Bible calls Satan a thief. John 10 tends to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If we step outside of that place of purpose, I'm not saying God's hand is not on you because it 100% is. God doesn't leave you. But we step out, we start trying to do things our own way. We're opening ourselves up to the things of this world to begin to come in and begin to wound us, begin to hurt us. We're opening ourselves up for the enemy to come in and to rock our world because we're stepping outside of the shelter of the Most High. So he's walking down this road and thieves come. They stripped him of his clothing. That represents the kingdom that he has built for himself. His clothing, things on the outside. These are things that he worked for. He bought with his own money. I don't know if he was wearing Jordans or not, but I think he probably was. He was styling, right? This guy, he had it going on. And they stripped him of all of the things that he had built for himself. They wounded him, or they bruised him emotionally. They bruised him spiritually. When we get outside of that place where God has called us and we start focusing on other things, yeah, God is still there, but we're opening ourselves up to allow the enemy to come in and to wound us spiritually, and to wound us emotionally. See, and the power of God is there to break those chains, but we're focused on Jericho. We're not focused on Jerusalem anymore. You're like, bro, what does this have to do with relationships? I'll get there. Hold on. They left him for dead or hopeless. I don't know about you, but we're, when you're in a hopeless situation, it's terrible. 
And sometimes you don't even know what brought on that hopeless situation. Sometimes you don't even know how you got there, but all of a sudden you're in a hopeless situation. Many times, if we'll look back, it's because we got our eyes off of purpose and we started focusing on Jericho. And then the thief comes in and starts reminding us that we're not enough. The thief comes in to steal from us, to strip us of the things that we built ourselves, to wound us emotionally and spiritually. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength, but we're not focused on joy. We're focused on Jericho. And they left him for dead or hopeless. So then it goes on, and it says, by chance, I like this because everything was very certain until right now, right? There was a certain lawyer, there was a certain man, but then there's a random priest. There's a random priest. What the priest represents is the, the organized church. The organized church. There was a random church that didn't have a purpose. There wasn't a certain church. It was a random church that happened to see this guy who was hurting. Why do we have core values as a church? Why do we have a culture statement as a church? Our culture is love. Our mission is the world. Why do we have that? Because I don't want to be a random church. I want to be a certain church. I want to be a church that has a purpose. I want to be a church that has a plan. I want to be a church that God has called to do something that's bigger than us. We're not a random church. We're a certain church. But right here, we had a random priest. There was a priest by chance that came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. See, this is a church without a purpose. See, if we have a purpose to seek and to save that which was lost, we wouldn't pass on the other side. But it would be like second nature. We would rush to the assistance of our brother that is broken and that is hurting, that needs us right now in this time. Yeah, but this, this, wasn't, this wasn't that. You know, sometimes the church, religious tradition, we don't want to go out of our way to do something. Maybe it doesn't look the way that it should. Maybe our first thought is, well, I wonder what he was doing in this neighborhood anyway. He was probably causing trouble, and that's why he got beat up. I bet he brought it on himself. See, but a certain church, a church that just loves without conditions, doesn't care why you're broken. We just want you restored. See, it's not my business why you're broken, it's not my business why you're hurting, but as the church of Jesus Christ, my job is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. My job is to reflect Jesus. And if I'm going to reflect Jesus, then I'm going to rush to the aid of the broken and of the hurting. But this church, they didn't want to get their hands dirty because it didn't look the way that it should. 
It goes on. It says, likewise, in the same way. A Levite, when he had arrived at the place, he came and he looked and he passed by on the other side. Now, the Levite represents the law. The Levite represents the law. And so as the Levite came and looked at this guy, the law says he got what was coming to him. Because everybody gets what's coming to them. You obey the law, you have eternal life. You don't, you, you live in the consequences of the law that you broke. See, there's no grace associated with the Levite. The law would have to associate with someone who exalted something else besides God. Again, what does a Christian look like? Well, I believe that a follower of Christ is one that loves without conditions. And so that means when I see a man that's broken and that's hurting, I go to his aid. I don't care what the circumstances were that got him in this position. I just want to restore him. Third guy goes by. Look at this. He was a certain Samaritan. See, we had a random priest. We had a random Levite who didn't have any vision, who didn't have any purpose. Then we had a certain Samaritan. This is very interesting because if you look at the history of Samaria, you look at the history of the Jews, there is no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. If this guy was a Jew, then the Samaritan is the only one that because of cultural relevance should have passed on the other side. Because the Jews were nasty to the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were nasty to the Jews. Maybe we think racism is a new thing. Maybe it's a, an Americanized thing or not at all. This is racism. Extreme. So much so that Jews would travel miles and miles out of their way so that they didn't have to go through Samaria. They didn't want any part of Samaria because of the extreme hatred and racism that they had towards these people. But this guy, he wasn't any ordinary Samaritan. He was a certain Samaritan. See, I believe this. But there were a lot of certain Samaritans. <laughs> we see Jesus in Samaria talking to the woman at the well and started revival in her city because Jesus wasn't hung up on the fact that him as a Jew was not supposed to associate with somebody from Samaria. He just loved people. He just loved people. Here, it says a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And so he went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. Now look at this. The Samaritans 
were outcasts. They were impure. They were the forgotten ones. They were the avoided ones. They were the ones that didn't fit in the picture. The Samaritans were the ones that were broken themselves. But this guy who was broken, this guy who was forgotten, this guy who society had cast aside, the Bible calls him a certain Samaritan. That means he had a purpose. And he goes up to this guy, and because he had a vision, he said, I'm going to take care of him because it's the right thing to do. Now, what I don't know is did this Samaritan, as he's walking by, did he see this guy on the side of the road and he immediately went over to him? Did he know that he was a Jew or did he not? I don't know. I don't know if he could tell. But I'm going to assume that he couldn't tell. I'm going to assume that when he saw him, he just went over because it was the right thing to do, and then he had a choice to make. As he got closer and he saw, oh, no, 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 I, I, mm, I'm not supposed to, to be around these guys because, because these guys are Jews. And did you know what they've done to my family? Did you know how they've hurt me over the years? I'm not supposed to be around them. Did you see their posts the other day on social media? Did you see that? Did you see what their political views are? I'm not supposed to reach out to them. I hope that they get what's coming to them. I was going to help you, and then I found out. Do we really think that way? I, I don't know. But I don't think it's Christ-like. I don't think it's what a Christian looks like. He goes over, <laughs> excuse me, and he took care of his wounds first. He didn't ask questions. He met, and immediately he started building relationship. Notice he didn't just say, hey, I'm going to give you a Band-Aid, and I got a couple Advil in my backpack. I hope this does well for you. I hope you're able to recover, man. Maybe we'll see each other another time somewhere. <clears throat> That's not what he did. He goes up to this guy. And it says that he bandaged his wounds. I love this. He poured in the oil and wine. He poured in the oil and wine. When we see oil and wine in Scripture, it's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He took care of his physical needs. He took care of his spiritual needs. Remember, this guy, he was stripped of everything he had physically, but then he was wounded emotionally and spiritually. This guy not only took care of his physical needs, he took care of his spiritual needs as well. He poured in the oil and the wine or the ministry of the Holy Spirit on him. I believe he prayed over him. He spoke encouragement over his life. 
He took care of his physical needs, but he took care of his spiritual needs. He cared for him. And then he took him to an inn at his own expense and took care of him. And then he looked at the innkeeper. He says, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. In other words, I'm going to prepay, but then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of too. You know what I like there? He didn't ask for a donation. <laughs> he didn't ask for a donation. He didn't need a handout. He says, I got this guy. I'm not asking you to get this guy. I got this guy. I'm not asking you for a donation. I'm going to take care of it at my expense. And then Jesus said, so which of these do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Who was the neighbor? And the lawyer, he said this, the one who showed mercy. Jesus looks at him and he says, you go and do likewise. <laughs> go and do likewise. There's your answer. Who's your neighbor? The one who shows mercy. Who's your neighbor? The one who cares. So who's my neighbor? The one who needs mercy. Anybody in here need mercy? I need mercy. Who's my neighbor? The one who needs what I have. The one who needs Jesus is my neighbor. The one who's broken, the one who's hurting. Go to Walmart today after church, and I want you to look around and see if you can find one person in there that's not hurting. One person in there that doesn't have a need. Go to Albertsons and say, if you were to stand up, make an announcement over the loudspeaker, is there anyone in here that has 100% of your life all together, and right now you do not have one single need in your life? There would be no one who's being honest that would come forward. Not one person. Who's your neighbor? The one who's in need. Who's your neighbor? The one who needs Jesus. We got a lot of neighbors. That means it's the person that I hate that I need to change my attitude towards. It means it's the person that has done wrong to me. It means the person who voted with me and voted against me. And it means my neighbor is my ex. <laughs> and it means my neighbor is the one who's with my ex. <laughs> right? And it's the one who hurt me. And it's the one who is unfair to me. And it's the one who passed me for the promotion that I deserved at work. And it's my boss who's treated me unfairly. And it's my family. And it's my friends. And it's the people that I don't know. And it's the people on the other side of the world. Who's my neighbor? The one who needs Jesus. See, the interest of our Father is people. 
Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says this again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field. And when the man found it, when a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. I like this because it says that the guy bought the field. He didn't go in the middle of the night and dig up the treasure. No, he sold everything that he had and he did it the right way and he bought the field. He could have just bought the little plot where the treasure was. But he didn't. He bought the whole field. He bought the whole thing. Why? I believe that he bought the whole thing because he thought he might find more treasure. Isn't that what Jesus did? What God did for us through Jesus? Isn't that what he did? He goes and, and, and sends Jesus to die for us so that he could redeem the whole world. He went and he got the whole field. He's like, you know what? Just give it all to me. Just I'll, I'll take it all. I'll take it all. Because they're all worth it. Because they're all worthy. I'll take it all. Because even the ones that despise me. See, Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because it's all of us. It's everybody. And God, who knows the end from the beginning, knows the ones that will not come to him, and he loves them anyway. I just bought it all. I'll take it all. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. For when he had found one pearl of great price, he sold everything that he had to buy it. Who's the one pearl? I'm the one pearl. You're the one pearl. We're all the one pearl. Jesus gave everything for us. That's the number one interest of our Father God. The number one interest of our Father God is people, is you, is me. The number one interest of our Father God is the person who's broken because that's what he specializes in, is putting broken back together. It's his nature. It's his nature. See, that's what we're, that's what we're made for in reflection of the one who has transformed us. We are made for relationship. We are made for this. What does a Christian look like? Somebody who reaches out to the broken. A Christian is not so much based on that you always say what you should say or act the way that you act or do what you should do. I believe that a picture of a Christian is somebody who is light to this world. I believe that a Christian is somebody who is actively seeking and saving that which is lost. See, we have that nature on the inside of us. What does a Christian look like? We're doing the works of Jesus. We're made for this. We're made for relationship. In, I'm going to skip ahead because I am dang out of time. All right, guys? I told you. I had way too much today. I told you that. So what does a Christian look like? I believe that a Christian looks like Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made by Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. I love this. 
Verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't comprehend it, couldn't understand it. Why are you shining a light right now? How can you look the way that you do right now? Well, I have a light on the inside of me that's just bursting out. I can't help it. I can't help it. How can you be happy in the middle of a pandemic? How can you have peace when we don't even know what's going on? Well, I've got a light on the inside of me. That's what a Christian looks like. I believe a Christian looks like Jesus. And if Jesus was the light, I'm the light. I'm the light. Second thing, I believe that a Christian looks like Jesus, and that looks like love. That looks like love. Romans 5.5, 5. now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, Christ died for the people that didn't like him. He died for the people that despised him. Verse 7, it says, For scarcely a righteous man will die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more. Having been justified, there's that word again, justified. Having been set free, chains off of me. Having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What does a Christian look like? Love. Looks like love. If you were to take, if Jesus were to take a selfie, it would be like heart emojis all over it, right? Love. That's just what he is. It's just what he does. What does a Christian look like? I believe a Christian lights up the darkness. I believe a Christian is full of love. I believe a Christian is somebody who goes about doing good, who goes about healing all because God is with you, because God is with you. What does a Christian look like? Somebody who loves, somebody who is light, somebody who promotes healing because God was with him. What about hypocrisy? We're going to expand on this in a, in a video but what about hypocrisy? Because a lot of people would say, Pastor Jason, I understand what you're saying, man, but you got to understand that I'm like, some days I'm like 40% Jesus and like 60% hood, all right? Like, you, you just got to, I'm trying, man. And I don't want people to think I'm a hypocrite because I love God so much that I don't want, anybody ever thought that? Anybody ever thought, well, I don't, I don't want to put myself out there because if I put myself out there, like, I, you don't know what's going to come out next. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm really fond of the saying, if people say, well, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to, to be a hypocrite, I say, we got a lot of them. What's one more? Just come on. 
But seriously, that's not what Jesus is talking about when he talks about hypocrites at all. At all. The simple fact that you say, I don't want to present God in a bad light, so I don't want to be a hypocrite, means that you're not one. The simple fact that you care about that means that you're not one. Because here's what Jesus said. He said, a hypocrite, and this is the definition of hypocrite, is an actor. A hypocrite is someone who plays a character different from their own for the sole purpose of personal gain meaning reward in the form of attention or social status or financial gain, that's a hypocrite. According to the definition in the Bible, a hypocrite is an actor that is doing something solely for their personal gain. So, I would venture to say that we don't have hypocrites in the room. I'm not going to go line by line and ask you because if you're a hypocrite, you're welcome here too because Jesus can change your heart, all right? But I would venture to say we don't have nearly the hypocrisy that we think we do. Hypocrisy doesn't mean that you're all about Jesus and you walk out and somebody cuts you off and you let them know which number they are. That's not what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite doesn't mean that you did a lot of things that you regret on Saturday night and you're in church on Sunday morning. That's not what that means. It means that you're somebody who's going hard after God. It means you're somebody that wants to be better. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would much rather have a church full of people who cuss a little than people who are a lot of fake. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus says, Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance and disfigure their faces so that they can appear to be fasting. If you're like that, you have your reward. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you will not be judged. I'm going to blow this open in, uh, in a video, okay? So don't get all crazy on me. Judge not so that you not be judged, for with the same judgment you judge, you will be judged in the measure that you use. It will be measured back to you. So why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at the plank in your own eye? You're a hypocrite. See, Jesus said, if you're going around acting like you don't got any problems and you're trying to fix everybody else's problems, that's hypocrisy. But if you're going around saying, man, I'm broken, you're broken too, let's be fixed together. Let's go after Jesus. Right? That's why every single Sunday that I'm speaking to you, I stand up here and I say, you know what? I got problems. You got problems. We all got problems. But we're all going after somebody who is the answer. Right? So let's go together. We're not up here pretending we're something that we're not. Let's go together. And let's reach out to the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. Amen? Praise God. That was better than you gave it credit for today. All right? So I know we're getting late, but hang with me because we still got some good stuff, all right? 
Jesus said a hypocrite is somebody who does charitable deeds and then grabs a trumpet so that everybody hears it and everybody sees it. Jesus said that a hypocrite is somebody who prays standing on the street corner and prays just so they can be heard. That's a hypocrite. So we want to wonder about hypocrisy and do I have a right to have relationship on behalf of Jesus? What does a Christian look like? Is a Christian the person who makes a mistake? Not a, not, yes, a Christian is a person who sometimes makes mistakes. But a Christian is somebody who is light in a dark situation and who is love. Just because you've got a little bit of a problem sometimes doesn't mean that it prohibits you. What does a Christian look like? Somebody that's going after God. It's somebody that's light. It's somebody that's love. So we're going on this road, right? And we're going hard after God, and we're reaching out to people, and we're just doing our best. Well, in this day and age, you're going to do that, and you're going to have conflict. How do we deal with conflict? This is going to be a good video, so make sure you watch it. But here's the gist of it. The Bible tells us this. This is in the Message Bible. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. Write it down and read it. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Man, that right there, that's the hardest thing to do. That is the hardest thing to do. And you're putting yourself out there, man. You are making yourself so vulnerable. Because what if it doesn't go the way that you want it to? This is what the Scripture said. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you made a friend. If he won't, take one or two others with you so that in the presence of witnesses, it'll keep everything honest. And you try again. If you still won't listen, tell the church. Now, I do want to say real quick because I don't want you to be like blasting your, your personal stuff all over the place after church today. Um... When he's talking about go to the church, he's talking about going to the leadership of the church. He's not saying stand up during testimony time, during worship, and you say, you know what? Albert has hurt me so bad. And I went to him, and he didn't listen. And I went with two people, and he still wouldn't listen because he's so dang hard-headed. And so here's what he did, and the Bible tells me to tell the church. So here you go. Maybe you should pray for him. Might drop. It's not what the Bible says at all. It's not what it says. You know, if you've been around here very long and you've listened to me, I absolutely despise using prayer lists as a guise to gossip about everybody. Come on now. It's none of your dang business, so shut your mouth. All right? But he says if you still won't listen tell the church and if the, if he won't listen to the church then you'll have to start over from scratch he doesn't say just abandon he says you're going to have to start over from scratch confront him with the need for repentance offer him again God's forgiving love I love that you don't just write him off he says you're going to have to start over but it's alright he's worth it start over start over and what do you do? You forgive, right? You forgive. Offer him God's forgiving love. So how do we deal with haters? 
I'm not going to do the scriptures here, but 10 things, write them down super quick, because i got to close, you guys. You're never going to come back. How do you deal with haters? Number one, live love. Number one way you deal with haters, live love, because God loves them. God loves them. See, there are going to be haters no matter what you do. Number one, live love. Number two, be led by the Holy Spirit. This is so important. Be led by the Holy Spirit. There are some times that you should reach out and talk. There are some times you need to let it cool down a little bit. Sometimes you need to let the Holy Spirit tell you what to say so that you don't start walking to fulfill the lusts of your flesh. Sometimes you just want to rip them a new one. I can tell you story after story because I'm kind of hot-headed. I don't know if you can imagine that, but I'm kind of hot-headed. And I can tell you story after story where I am ready to just rip somebody a new one. And the Holy Spirit is like, put on the brakes there, buddy. And then I have a chance to minister Jesus to them. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me right now. But that's what God does. Because that's his interest, right? That's his interest. Number three, before you speak, ask yourself. Before you speak, I want you to get that really inside of you today. Before you speak, ask yourself, can this help the situation? Is anything that I'm going to say right now going to help the situation? If it's not, shut up. Number four, this is a big one, especially in this day and age where we're all keyboard warriors and we don't know what's right and what's wrong. Don't speak out of ignorance. Don't speak out of ignorance. Sometimes you are sure of something, but it's just not the truth. You know what's better in that situation? Ask a question. Ask a question. Not a leading question, but just ask a question. Don't speak out of ignorance. Number five, don't get involved in a spitting match. You know what I mean by that? Where you're just going back and forth. Don't get involved in a spitting match. If it's going to be like that, then it's not the time or the place. Remove yourself from that situation. Remember, we're doing all these things because God's interest is people. God's interest is people. And if God's interest is people, if I'm supposed to be a reflection of Him, then I'm not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize my opportunity to share love with somebody else. And so if I just get in an argument with them back and forth, or comment back and forth, then what am I doing? Am I allowing God to do His work? not. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to me. Be respectful to others' views. Not everyone sees the world the way you do. And I know that you think you're right, because if you didn't, you would change your views to where you think you're right. But not everyone sees the world the way you do. I tell this story, and it means the world to me. There's somebody uh, that I consider a, a good friend that sees the world differently than me. Many times we don't talk about that stuff, but one day we had a conversation, a long one, about some very, very controversial topics, and 
but I felt like we were in an environment where we could be honest, and I just laid it out there. Here's what I think, and he laid it out there, and here's what I think, and we talked for two or two and a half hours. Some things that usually would end up in a shouting match in this day and age. We had a very good and respectful conversation. And at the end, he said, I need to have you and Tiffany over for dinner, which we still haven't done, by the way, and we need to. He said, I need to have you and Tiffany over for dinner so we can continue these conversations. He said, because this is what needs to happen in our society, where we can have a respectful conversation. He said, because now I understand where you're coming from more than I did before. I didn't change his view. He didn't change mine. But I also understand where he's coming from more than I did before. And I respect his views. There are things that I don't think he's right on. But on those same things, he doesn't think I'm right. And that's okay. Because he's a good person. And he's my friend. And he'll remain my friend. Even though we view the world differently than one another. Number seven, really important. Listen and be open to learn. Listen and be open to learn. You don't know everything. I know you think you do, but you don't. Listen and be open to learn. Number eight, love this one. Don't be afraid to apologize. Don't be afraid to apologize. Man, I apologize to somebody on the daily, I'm telling you. Don't be afraid to apologize. It are in your respect. Number nine, speak from a position of unity, not a position of hurt and division. Speak from a position of unity, always. See, because I care about you more than I care about my view. I care that you know Jesus more than anything else. And I don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize that because it's not worth it. I want you to know him. Number 10, remember your objective, which is to seek and to save that which is lost. What does a Christian look like? And somebody who remembers their objective, to seek and to save that which is lost. Last thing today, super fast, taking a stand in a hostile world. There's a story. I said that we were going to close with Jericho today. We can go ahead and have the worship team come up. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now Jericho, placed with big walls, was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands. The very first thing that God said is, I've given you the victory. I have given you the victory. See, I believe this, that the reason why the enemy is so successful right now in ripping us apart from the inside out is because he has twisted what God has said and he's using it against us. Against us. God has promised us victory. And I don't care what side of the political spectrum you stand on. There is such division in our world. 
that no matter what side it is, you believe that the other side, many times, is the one that's destroying the thing that you love. And the enemy's using it to twist us and to pull us. I want you to remember that we started with a word from God that declares victory for us. And when we look and we see different, we look and we see things that, that are contrary and we think that it's not happening, then we tend to take matters into our own hands and try to fill in the blanks. Stop doing that. Trust God. Stop doing that. Because the word from God is still there and victory is still yours. But stop trying to fill in the blank because you're not God. And his ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, they started with a word from God. He said, I've given Jericho into your hand and it's king and it's mighty men of valor. And then he gives them instructions. What does a Christian look like? How do we navigate this world where things are so broken? How do we navigate and maintain relationships? How do we keep being Jesus? How do we keep being the friend of sinners like Jesus was? How do we continue to be the good Samaritan? that's reaching out no matter what, how do we continue to show mercy to our neighbor? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city, all your men of war. <laughs> all your men of war. <laughs> all of your people that are so ready to just pick up your arms and fight. All of your people that are fired up right now, that are ready to go, that want to take on the world. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city once. This shall you do for six days. <laughs> and then seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. See, he's saying, I want seven spiritual leaders. I want you to remember that in Scripture, anytime we see the number seven, we're talking about completion. This is perfection. God created the world in seven days, and it was complete. And all throughout Scripture, it carries that same idea, that seven is complete. Seven is, is talking about perfection. So I want you to take seven spiritual leaders and they're going to have the trumpets but they're going to hold on to them. I'm not going to give you the trumpets because you're going to blow it. I guarantee it. You're not going to be able to, to, to hold it in. I mean you're going to be walking around on like the fourth day and one of you idiots is going to say, what does that look like? Blow the trumpet. Right? I guarantee it. Some of you just can't help yourself. 
this morning. I got up really early and I go over my notes, go over my message. We're talking about dealing with conflict, all these things, right? And then I open up Facebook and I start scrolling and I see something that was a stupid post and I made a comment that I shouldn't have made right after I read this dumb thing right here. It's not dumb, but you get it. I'm dumb. Not only did I type it out, I looked at it, I thought about it for a second, and I pressed post. And then I was like, no, 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 stupid, you're stupid. And I deleted it. But like, as soon as I pressed, I pressed send or post or whatever the button says. As soon as I did, the Holy Spirit convicted me. I was like, you're an idiot, man. <laughs> Telling you what, it's hard. It's hard. He said, I want you to walk around the city. I want you to stay for six days. I want you to take the trumpet of seven spiritual leaders. And on the seventh day, excuse me, those trumpets are going to go before the ark, before the, the presence of God. On the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. And then the priests are going to blow the trumpet. When the priests blow the trumpet, it shall come to pass that they will make a long blast with the ram's horns. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all of the people will shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall. Look at this. I want you to march around the city once each day for six days, and I want you to shut up. I want you to remain in silence. I want you to allow God to do his perfect work in you before you start talking. What does a Christian look like? I believe that a Christian looks like somebody who loves. A Christian looks like somebody who lights up the world around them. See, the spiritual leaders, they're holding the ram's horns. We see a ram in another place in scripture where Abraham was asked to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him. And when he did, he said over and over again, God's going to provide a lamb. God's going to provide a lamb. God's going to provide a lamb. And so he puts Isaac on the altar and he ties him up and he's getting ready to sacrifice him. And there's there's a ram that's, that's stuck in the bushes. And he goes over and he gets the ram because God provided a sacrifice. And we see it in another place where man was hopeless and man was broken and we had no answers and there was no way that we could reach God and God provided a sacrifice in Jesus who was the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. And so he said, I want you to walk around the city once each day for six days in silence because God is working his perfect work in you and the priests are going to be carrying the ram's horns. That is your answer. That is your sacrifice. What does a Christian look like? Somebody 
who allows Jesus to work their perfect, his perfect work in them. Because I believe that there is a time to be loud. Just because I'm silent doesn't mean I'm not doing anything. I'm allowing God to reveal Jesus in me. When it's time, when it's time, like right now, it's time to be talking about this. I believe that we're going to blow the trumpet. We're going to start shouting. And the victory that we've been promised is going to be manifested. But there's a time to be quiet and allow God to do his work in you. And there's a time to shout so that the walls come down. What does a Christian look like? I believe a Christian looks like somebody who's going after God and allowing him to do his perfect work in them. See, my relationship with others hinges on my relationship with God. My relationship with others and how the world sees the church and sees the Christian, it revolves around God doing his work in me and then him choosing to elevate my voice. To not sugarcoat it today, we talk about a lot of things that we shouldn't talk about. And I want you to remember today that God's ways are higher than yours and his thoughts are higher than yours. And so just because you think you know how the plan works doesn't mean that you do. And so allow God to be God and trust him. I have a mission. And my mission is to rescue the lost. That's what God has told me to do. See, but yours is the same. You just may do it in a different way than me. But yours is the same. It's to, it's to reach the lost. And so anything that you say or anything that, that you do or any cause that you think you should take on, if it doesn't line up with that mission, then it's not perfected in you. Here's what I'm saying. I don't want to take away your passions. And I don't believe that God has taken away your passions. But I believe they're for an appointed time. And sometimes you're just on day four, but you start talking. Sometimes you're on day four, but you pick up the trumpet. But his plan and his purpose hasn't been perfected in you yet. And what do you do when you pick up that trumpet and it's the afternoon on day five, and God said to walk around six days 
in silence. You pick up that trumpet and you hurt people. Put the trumpet down. Allow God to reveal Jesus in you. What did Jesus do when he had conflict with a certain lawyer? They had a conversation in such a way that at the end, the man understood and he went his way. See, there were people that still hated Jesus, obviously. Obviously. But Jesus is still revolutionizing lives today. He hasn't been canceled. He hasn't been silenced. And the church of Jesus Christ will not be silenced. But I come at this very passionately today. And I have to stop. But I come at this because I believe it. And I hate to see the church marginalized because we don't know when we should talk and when we should not. Why don't we just follow our mission? Why don't we just follow our mission and, and love people? Why don't we just love people? No questions asked. Why don't we just reach out to the person? See, we're a church on a mission. We're a certain church. Why don't we just love people like Jesus did? It's easy. Just love people like Jesus did. And if I just love people like Jesus did, then God's going to tell me what to do when and where and what to say and what not to say. Father God, we thank you for this great day that you made for us. God, we thank you that you've given us answers and hope in your word. God, we thank you that you've chosen us for something bigger. And we trust you. If you're here today or you're watching online, we talked a lot about relationship with Jesus today. That you would know him. Maybe you'd say, Pastor Jason, I don't know him. It's all right, I'm going to introduce you right now. See, Jesus Christ, we've talked about it all day, but in the simplest way I can say it, is Jesus Christ loved you so much that he gave his entire life for you and died so that you can know God. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned or fallen short of God's standard and God's glory. The Bible also tells us that the price that has to be paid for sin is death. See, but Jesus paid that price for us. And the way that we receive that gift today is we say, Jesus, I invite you into my life because I can't do it on my own. I believe that you're God's son, that you died on the cross for me, and that you rose again. So today, if you'd like to pray that prayer with me, if you've never prayed it before, I would love for you to repeat these words after me. And I'm going to ask everybody that's in the house today and watching online to say it with us. See, this is a personal thing between you and God, but nobody prays alone.
because we're family here. So if you would, just say this prayer with me. And if you're praying it for the first time, I'm so excited for you today. Let's pray this. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose again. And I ask you to come into my life to help me and to change me. And I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that for the first time today and you meant it, the Bible says you're a child of God. I want to ask you to do one thing for me. Go on our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and click I Choose Jesus. There's a download for a free book. Download that book, read it. It's a real quick read. It's going to help you on your walk with God. There's a couple videos for you to watch as well. Last thing today, super quick, and thank you guys for being so connected even so long today. I'm going to get you out early next week. Is that a deal? I won't make up for all the time. This is a lot of time. If you're here today or you're watching online, you're struggling in life in any way, I want to pray with you today. <coughs> As I said before, I don't believe that a prayer line or a prayer request should be uh, an excuse for church gossip. So I'm not going to ask you what's going on in your life today. It's really, it's none of my business unless you want it to be. My door is open. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But I don't pry. If you're struggling today in any area of your life, relationship, financial, your kids, health issues, whatever it may be, job, emotionally, physically, whatever. What I want you to do is I just want you to lift up your hand. Even if you're watching online, just where you're at, I want you to lift your hand. See, we're just taking that step out today. Father God, I pray for those. And join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for those, our family that are struggling today. God, the scripture tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so today, we bear one another's burdens and we hold each other up. God, you know exactly what's going on in their life and I don't have to know to connect with them in prayer. And so God, we come on their behalf knowing that we stand together, united as family, holding each other up, knowing that you are doing your perfect work in their life, that miracles are coming, that answers are coming, that hope is coming. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us and remember that God is madly in love.